G. Journey here, welcoming you to Shortgrass Country News, where the past never ends. This week's story is being brought to you by Utah Wirt, the Dirt Doctor. Utah says if you're needing some 1846 old, boy does he have it. He's got a train load of it. He didn't order it, but now he's got to move it. Find Utah Wirt, the Dirt Doctor, at the intersection of Highway 6 and 55. If you pass the mustard yellow Terra Gators, you done gone and went too far. <coughs> the horse says it's time for today's story that I've named Making a Farmhand. Between the ages of 6 and 12, going to the farm with Daddy or just being with him was the most outstanding of times. In the late 50s and early 60s, Daddy didn't have a pickup. What he had was an old 1949 Mercury Flathead V8 Coupe that he used as a pickup. To a little fella, it seemed like an ocean liner. It was long and it was wide and it had enough room in it for the whole town. It seemed different than most cars. It had a long sweeping top from the windshield to the back bumper. That's how I remember it in my youthful mind. It squatted low to the ground in the back and it seemed like it was a country mile from the dash to the hood ornament. Back then, cars had a hood ornament, most of which were those chrome figures that seemed to be sweeping through the air, just a-glittering as the sun caught them. Daddy had taken the back seat out to make room for his fuel cans and tools and parts and all that kind of stuff. The shocks were plumb wore out on it if it had any at all. Every time that we'd go over a culvert or a wooden bridge or any raised place in the road, that old murk would feel like it was leaving the ground with my stomach rising up into my throat with it. Then it'd return to earth and bounce up and down for the next half mile or so, it seemed. It was fun, but it was scary at the same time. There were no seat belts in those days, and the dash seemed like it was two stories high, so I'd find myself standing up in the seat to see what was going on outside that car. Of course, it was full of all sorts of healthy odors of various petroleum products such as gas and grease and oil, all of which the old Model R John Deere tractor used in great quantities. In my early adulthood, I'd look back on those days and think what a nuisance I must have been. Always in the way trying to see what Daddy was doing or wanting to help when my help was more of a hindrance. But as I got older, I realized that some of the time he took me with him because he needed an extra set of hands. Now, mind you, I was only about a half a hand at best during the early years. Of course, I was always excited to be a part of a man's world doing a man's job. Sometimes it was working cattle or building fence. Other times it might be plowing or measuring the ground. In those days, we didn't use metal T-posts or tractor-powered post hole diggers or pile drivers that they use today. We used wooden posts made from bodark trees sometimes referred to as Osage Orange. 
You see, those bumpy green apples produced by those trees smell like oranges. The posts were hard as steel and were said to last a hundred years. Every one of those shelter belts put in by the WPA during the Depression had two rows of them on the inside and two rows on the outside. Our ground had a lot of shell rock, so just digging a hole to hold the post might take several hours or even days. A digging bar was a definite necessity. A digging bar is a heavy, long steel rod with a pointed end, which was generally required to break up the rocks to get them out of the hole. There were even times when the ground had to be soaked overnight to loosen it up for digging. One thing about it was once that post was in the ground, it was in the ground for a lifetime. Naturally, I thought I was big enough to use that digging bar when in actuality I could barely lift the thing, but that didn't stop me from trying. Daddy had let me go at it for a while, then he'd move me out of the way in order to get at least one post in before dark. Once that post was tamped into the ground, there was a new challenge at hand. As I said, bow dark is as hard as steel. So getting a staple in it to hold the bob wire to it was easier said than done. First off, even though the post was in the ground, it wasn't sturdy bottom to top. There was a little spring to that post as it moved from earth to air. There's no telling how many mashed and mangled fingers there have been from men and boys trying to drive staples into a bodark post. I discovered early on that the best way was to find a natural crack in the wood and take advantage of it. And if that proved fruitless, tie it on with a piece of baling wire. It doesn't take long to learn that such work as post hole diggers and fence stretchers and digging bars and staples require a good heavy pair of white mule gloves. Otherwise, your hands and fingers become a chewed up, beat up, tender mess that are little use for anything. Back in those days, the United States government paid farmers to destroy crops. Can you imagine that? We have a world full of starving people and we're destroying crops. Where's the Christian charity in that? Well, anyway, once it was determined by the Farm Service Agency as to how many acres had to be plowed up, the land had to be measured and flagged to establish the borders of what was to be destroyed. This was done by means of a measuring chain. Now, a chain is 66 feet long, and it's divided into 100 links. The chain is marked off into groups of 10 by brass tags. That makes intermediate measurements easier. Each link is 7.92 inches long. A quarter of a chain is 25 links or 16 and a half feet, which equals a rod. 10 chains measures a furlong. And 80 chains measures a mile. An acre is 10 chains square. The use of the chain was mandatory in laying out U.S. townships. The federal law was passed in 1785 that stated all government surveys must be done with a Gunter's survey chain. It was called the Public Land Survey Ordinance. Well, 
acres could be determined by measuring from the edge of a field or from a terrace within the field. As I remembered, it seems like the wheat would be measured in the spring once the wheat had made a head. I'm not sure for such a late measurement. I guess it could have been to allow the wheat to mature enough so the farmer could determine which wheat was going to produce the least. More than likely, though, the government just never could get their mind made up until it was almost harvest time. For an undersized, understrength grade schooler, that wheat might be somewhere between waist and armpit tall. To add to it, the ground was usually rougher than the cob because there hadn't been enough rain to melt the drill rows. Just walking through it was a challenge, much less tugging on one end of a gunner's measuring chain. Now, Daddy was a large man, at least to me. He was about six foot tall and weighed around 220 pounds at the time. I weighed in at about, oh, 50 pounds, maybe. Taking a measurement was a challenge because the chain had to be held tight. Well, a 50-pounder playing tug-of-war with a 200-pounder always ended in the 50-pounder being pulled away from his spot. That's just physics. Daddy was always yelling, Hold your ground and keep it tight. Easier said than done. Once the measurement was taken and the flags placed, it'd be time to move on to the next location to place flags. My arms were tired from holding the chain tight to the best of my 50-pound abilities, so I'd let the chain down to relieve the pressure on my arms and start walking. Well, now that just wasn't acceptable. Daddy had yelled to me, Hold the chain over your head and keep it tight. I don't want it dragging through the wheat, knocking the heads off. Again, easier said than done. Plus, what in the world does it matter? It's going to be plowed up anyway. After an afternoon of walking several miles, tugging on a gunter's measuring chain, made a man thirsty and hungry. On the way back to town, Daddy had turned the radio on and tried to sing along with old Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. Ha ha! Then there'd be Ernest Tubb, Wiles across Texas. Of course, old Hank Williams, your cheating heart. Once to town, Daddy had wheel into the champlain and discussed the world's problems with his buddies while I drank me a ice-cold Dr. Pepper straight out of the pop case and eat me a cherry mash or a chicken stick. Yeah, yeah, I learned all the cuss words, and I learned that the world was going to hell in a handbag if things didn't change. You know... I learned a little math out there, and I always slept good after a hard day out at the farm. Well, it looks like our time is up for this week, so until next week, happy trails.